Hi, church. If you'd like to uh, read along in a physical Bible, you can grab one from the back or you can follow along on the screen behind me. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Hey everyone. It's good to be uh, with you on this uh, Good Friday. My name's Mike Sams, if I haven't met you before, and it's wonderful to be with you and to spend uh, this time reflecting deeper on what we've already started uh, doing today in, in the Lord's Supper together, thinking about what Jesus has done on the cross for us. So let me pray, and then we're going to spend some more time, and the prayer will be that we will be captivated more by the cross and Jesus' care for us in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together today, all of us here at very different uh, moments in our life from knowing you deeply to wrestling whether you exist to coming to know you recently to having hard times uh, that we're dealing with right now uh, to being in a good place spending time with family all sorts of places we are at help us now in a lot of these things see Jesus see him at the cross and be captivated by him Amen. Um, let me ask you, what is the Easter long weekend for you? I think it's a little bit like the, the Christmas holidays, the summer holidays. It's a time when we get to spend uh, with people we care about. That also means sometimes these occasions are times of pain. If the people we care about or if we're lonely or we're not with them or there's loss, we feel those pains. Because these times are often left, uh, put aside to be with people we deeply care about. It's a, it's a good weekend for us because we're with someone that we deeply care about who lives in Sydney this weekend and a, a family member of ours. And that's a joy. This weekend can be special and treasured or painful because there is actually something about humanity where we value and desire being recognised, cared for, and treasured by others. That's not controversial to say, is it? I, that, we, we kind of think that's right, don't we? And so much so that 
Now, one of my favourite books, it's actually getting a bit old, I think it was 2010 it was written, by Hugh Mackay, he's an anthropologist, you know, he analyses society and humans and how they work and think, uh, how they actually think about things and the decisions they make in light of it. And he wrote this book about the 10 things that make Australians tick as he just talked to lots and lots of people. And he didn't really order them, but he had one that was prime, that we all want to be taken seriously. And by that, Oh, what I'm going to show you is I think actually what that is is that we actually deeply want people to actually recognise and care for us. See, he said, his thesis was, we want to be taken seriously, not seriously, you know, what a serious person, but in a please recognise and acknowledge me as a unique individual. Then he lists off what we desire. I wonder if any of these ring true for you. They certainly did for me. The desire for respect of others, the desire to be noticed, the desire to matter, the desire to be appreciated, the desire to be understood, the desire to be a valued person, to be valued as a person, the desire to be accepted, the desire to be remembered. What do you think of those? You see, we do, I think what he's summing up there in many ways, is we actually want to be cared for. To acknowledge, be acknowledged and in relationship with others. And I think that's what we're going to see today when we get to Jesus. We are actually going to see that Hugh was onto something as he looked at society because God actually deeply cares for us. We're going to see that it's not just some nice hallmark card that Jesus cares for us. But actually, when we understand the point of view of the cross deeply, when we realize what he has done, how it affected him, how the power he has, we realize he is the one who cares for us more than anyone could possibly imagine and that he is worth believing in. Now, I wonder if you've ever heard it said that God plays favorites. I heard two gooses. Um, talking, debating things uh, this week um, on online, and they were being really arrogant and rude. But one of the points I make is, when religious people say God doesn't play favourites, that is ridiculous. Of course He does. And then they made the point of, look at look at uh, Chris Hemsworth. Man, he chiselled him to being one fine specimen, and then they pointed to themselves and look at me. He rushed the job. He plays favourites. Now that's a stupid argument, but we can't feel like that. That God does play favourites with how our life plays out. But when we come back to the cross that I hope you see today, He deeply cares and recognises and acknowledges you for who you are and wants you to know He loves you into eternity. So we're going to do that through that reading that Mav read for us earlier today, just before Jesus died. And you can grab a Bible if you want to look at it. I've got no slides or anything today because I just want us to just think about these things and let it kind of um, wrestle through us, let it affect us uh, as we think about it and feel what Jesus had done. And the first point I just want us to reflect on is that Jesus knew exactly what he was about to do. And it affected him to his core. Physically, Emotionally, spiritually, Jesus, quite simply, we see in the garden, 
was overwhelmed. It's an overwhelming picture. Have a look there uh, with me if you've got it on your, um, on your phones or in a Bible in front of you, or just listen to these words. Listen to what Jesus was saying. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. You see, what does Jesus do in distress when he knows what is coming? He leans on the one who cares for him perfectly. And so in verse 33, he took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. See, this isn't a little bit like when I yelled out very loudly at home this week when I was walking out of my office and I went to close the door and I left my finger hanging and I slammed the, the door on my, on my finger really harshly and I was a big wuss all night because of it and I needed an ice brick and it was so painful and it was, ag- stop nodding your head, Jen, it was painful. It's not that kind of distress. It is anxiety-inducing, feeling physically sick, devastated about what's going to come, that gut-wrenching, this is too much to comprehend kind of distress and trouble. We see that because what he says in verse 34, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he told them to stay there and keep watch. So he tells his close friends to stay there and keep watch. He's just outpoured his, his very soul to them. And that's very important when we realize what the, his friends do at this point, his disciples. But then in verse 35, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, this hour might pass from him. In verse 36, we read, Jesus says, have a listen to what he says as he prays. Abba, this close relationship he has with him. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Everything. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus was so desperate, he doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to go there from the point of view of knowing what it is. Who would? And as we understand it even more and more as we travel through today, you can see why he's crying out these things. And it's like he's, he's not saying, I don't want to do it. Don't let me do it. It's like verbal processing, so we understand here in a sense. You know, some of us who talk out loud all the time, and that's how we process things. I'm looking at you, Ethan. That's how you talk to me. And I, and I tell you, mate, just do it in your head. And you don't do it in your head. We all have people like that, don't we? We talk out. Jesus here is expressing not, oh, don't make me do this, God. He's expressing, this is how I feel about it. <laughs> I don't want to go to the cross and face this horrendous pain. And he's processing it by bearing it to his father. And as he does that, look at what those who he bared his soul are to are doing. Verse 37, he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
See, Jesus, Jesus is pouring out his emotions, his feelings, his thoughts around what is about to come to his father. And he's told his disciples, they've just had the meal together, where he's pointed to them that, they're going to, that he's going to go to the cross and they don't understand really what's going on. And, and he's asked them to do something where they see him clearly in distress and they can't even do the very simple thing that he asked them. And so he goes and prays again in verse 39. And he goes and he sees them sleeping again. And then returning a third time, after he goes again, he says to them, have a look at verse 41 if it's in front of you. Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. That is, the time has come. Look, the Son of Man, the way that Jesus described himself as the one who is going to deliver, um, uh, be the one who brings uh, God's plan to fruition, is delivered into the hands of sinners. And then if it's not bad enough, what he's going to do, he knows it happens through one of his disciples betraying him. And so he says in verse 42, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. See, friends, Jesus knows what he is about to do and it's no trifling matter. It's not jamming your finger in a door. He's going to pay uh, uh, experience rather pain and physical agony that was reserved for the worst of criminals or in whatever way the Romans wanted to punish this was their best effort at causing pain the, but the thing is this horrendous physical death that Jesus is about to face that alone is, is not completely enough, enough utterly enough of his distress. You see, when we dig a little deeper, he is doing more than just going to die a horrendous death. If we go back to verse 36, what did he actually say to his father? Because it reveals to us the depth of what he knows he's about to do. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. And then he, these words, I don't know if you know what these words, words mean, but he says, Take this cup from me. And we could conclude, no, is that just a way of Jesus is saying, take this death from me, but I don't really know why it means that? Jesus is actually saying, take your wrath of all of humanity's rejection of us from me, because that is what I'm going to face on the cross. That is what he's talking about. He is saying, I am facing the cup of your wrath. Now, why do I say that? Because actually, this is a, um, a phrase used to talk about God's wrath in the Old Testament. It's, it's well known. Um, in Jeremiah, we, we read, and we're not going to go into detail today, but just to point to you to see that that's actually what Jesus is talking about. In Jeremiah, um, we read, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Jeremiah is saying this. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. Now, what he's saying there is that God 
when people are in rebellion on him, God is rightly angry and distressed by these things. And Jesus came into the world to deal with that problem, to take away God's wrath and rightly deal with it. And this is the point where Jesus is just about to face it, this cup of God's wrath, and he is completely and utterly overwhelmed, and he's doing that for us, humanity. See, these aren't just words of nice prayers before he's going to go and do something that's pretty great. These are the words of our Lord and God who knows he's at the precipice of what we hear him say a little bit later. What does he say? Eloi, Eloi, lemma semachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or a simple way of saying that is, God, right now I am facing all of the rebellion on me. Jesus knows what he is about to do. It's spectacular and somber. It's deep. It's heavy. Today is Good Friday, ironically, because the worst thing that could possibly happen is the best thing that could possibly happen for you and I. And in light of all of this, Jesus still got up and in this beautiful clarity that is so stark, the disciples playing the role of us are asleep in rebellion of him as he's saying, I will go to the cross for them and for us. Jesus still goes to the cross. And we can see a little bit clearer what he has done for us. And yet at the same time, I wonder whether we ever fully get and understand what it means to face the cup of God's wrath, like Jesus did for us. See, friends, the first point that we see there is that Jesus, he has actually cared for us beyond all measure because he has he knew exactly what he was about to do and it's worth us today remembering what he has done for us in light of this but as we think about that the second thing is and maybe you might be pondering this question though is that but if he didn't want to do it is god like is his father just like weak or is this just even to the point of being uh, Jesus is helpless and his father is just actually the grand horrendous father? Like the worst abuse, he's actually made his son face this thing and his son's doing it against his, against his will. You see, he knows his power and even more specifically his father's power and yet he has his father's will and the love of us in mind. Jesus was not helpless or even worse, being forced to do something he didn't want to do. Look at the relationship with his father. Actually, if you read the Gospels and the stories of um, Jesus' life, those four biographies, and have a lens to thinking about when Jesus prays and what he talks to his father about and the relationship there, you will see a perfect relationship. 
you will see perfect harmony in other person-centeredness. And that's what we see in verse 36 again. Let's read it again. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you, including taking this from me. You can easily, just like that, rescue him. It's even easier. You know, like if when you're trying to teach your kids to swim and um, they need rescuing. But it's not that hard to rescue a kid who's swimming when um, they've got floaties on and they're right next to you and you're just standing in the water. You're not that impressive. All you're doing is looking and holding them. The father could rescue Jesus far easier than that. It's, it's not hard for him. It's not a battle. It's not, oh, I've got to stop Satan from doing this to Jesus. It's, he could just do it. But with perfect harmony and love and respect, and knowing this is what he came for, and expressing that I, I don't want to do this as I see it, he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. He's saying, what you want, I want. Even though my, in this moment, I don't want to do it. It's extraordinary words. We, I reckon we could spend a whole day just thinking about those words and the impact and depth of the sovereignty of God, the power of God, the relationship between the Father and the Son with just those words yet not what I will, but what you will. But what we see today is that Jesus is willingly, in light of all of what we've just reflected on, willingly getting up, letting his betrayer betray him, who he loved and made one of his disciples, go to the cross, face the Jewish persecution, face the Romans, go to the cross, know the spiritual battle, let Satan think he's won, even though he hasn't, because he loves us. How extraordinary. That is what Jesus has done. When we have questions about God and some that are hard to answer, when we have questions about life and we don't understand, I have no doubt every single one of us at some point in our life, and if you haven't yet, it's literally just around the corner. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my friends? Why are we in such pain? This world often makes no sense, and sometimes in the moments we don't get clarity. But the bigger picture, eternal clarity that we get that is undeniable. Jesus loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He is someone who cares for you more than the person in your life that you think of now who's cared for you the best in your life. There's probably lots of people you can think of. He does it not for a moment or for a a time when you need help or throughout your life, he is saying, I'm doing this right now so that you and I can eternally be in a relationship forever. And he's done it at the greatest cost that we could possibly imagine. A cost that you and I cannot pay. 
as he bases the cup of God's wrath on the cross. And he does it knowing that we have rejected him. Even his disciples who loved him and didn't understand, couldn't get over the line. Peter, we haven't even read about Peter. What did Peter do just before this? He was so bold and if only he could keep going. But we can so relate to him when he says, I will not disown you, Jesus. And Jesus says, oh, yes, you will. And three times, right at that moment, he disowned him. Today, when we see the cross, see Jesus, believe in him, rest in him. You see, because I actually think Humakai's observations are right. He's pointed out time and time again, in all sorts of ways, our desire to be in relationship and have the connections and to have worth and meaning and be worthwhile. The only, the only problem with Hugh in this book is that it stops just with humanity relating to each other and doesn't go far enough to actually the thing behind it. That God is the one who loves us. The desire for respect of others. Jesus has respected you when really, if we're going to be honest and own up to it, we throw dirt in his face. Jesus sees you. He notices you, the desire to be noticed. When you feel like a speck and no one sees you, he has gone to the cross. The desire to matter, to be of value, to, to be desired, have value as a person, Jesus has just, we've just seen, taken your sin. He's basically saying to us, you are so valued and loved, I will do everything for you so that you and I can be in relationship forever. The desire to be appreciated, is there anything more than we could be thankful for than Jesus taking our place? The desire to be understood, the Lord of all knows you deeply knows what you need more than you do, and he has dealt with it for you. The desire to be remembered, it's actually more than that, isn't it? It's not a desire to be remembered. It's actually Jesus is saying, I don't want to just remember you like it was a great times we had. The desire is to be with you forever, each and every one of you is what Jesus did on the cross. That if you trust in him, acknowledge where you are before him, and that he has dealt with uh, everything for you. He is saying, I am worth believing in and I care for you more than you can possibly imagine. I have laid it all out for you. Friends, I want to encourage you to, that today will be a day of just remembering how spectacular it is, how kind of overwhelmingly good it is what Jesus has done on the cross. It's overwhelmingly good because it doesn't end with him dying, does it? It doesn't end with 
his death was a good thing for us because you can't have a relationship with someone who's dead. He conquers the grave. That's why there's an eternity. And on Sunday, as we, we actually think about the resurrection and that um, we get to believe that unbelievable thing that Paul Harrington's going to help us think about even further, we hold these two things beautifully together. But today, can I encourage you to remind yourself Maybe today is the day where you're realized, I need to trust in Jesus. And this is the biggest day of your life. As you realize your life is now for him. And to do that today. Uh, and also, it also means that we want to understand what life's about more, doesn't it? And we love to do that. We want you to actually think about that more. And our life course that we'll mention later is just a great opportunity in a way, not on a Sunday where you can have in a relaxed environment, hear more about how this death and his resurrection changes your whole life and worldview and how you live for him. And if you're wrestling with that, what a great opportunity to come along to that. We'd love to come along to that. Talk to Ada, Scott, chat to me about that as well. I'd love to help you think about that. But as we keep going through today, and I'm just wrapping up now, we're going to finish a little bit differently at the end of the service today. We've spent time thinking about what Jesus has done for us and doing it together as his people in the Lord's Supper. We've looked deeply at what Jesus did for us and how much he cares for us. And a lot of those things, the last thing we're going to do today, Rosie's going to read for us um, the, the actual story of Jesus dying. And we're going to just hear that as we reflect on what he's done, that we've done just now. And we're going to finish right there in a somber moment because of Sunday. You might want to take a moment and then we can have our, um, our morning tea together. But let me pray, thanking God for how deep the love Jesus has for us how deep he cares for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Never let us, Lord, think that we truly understand the depths of what he's done. But Lord, today we pray that we've stirred more to see how, how deep, how wide his love is for us, that he would go to the cross, knowing that he could just not. And yet he goes, facing the cup of your wrath because of his deep care and love for us into all eternity. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.